Welcome to a brand new episode of Over and Stumps. The Aussie summer has started and we are in the full swing ahead in the summer of cricket. My name is Jono. I'm joined again by Sean Morsel and Rory Dennis. Sean, there's a lot going on in our lockdown city of Melbourne, but it's good that we've got some cricket on TV to keep our mind away from all the craziness. Absolutely, and it's actually giving us something to do. Some of us have probably been couch potatoes for a, a good year and a half now. It's good now the footy's coming to an end. We have the better sport ready to take us through the summer. Yeah, and Rory, how are things going in the capital of Canberra? Lots of yeah. cricket. Yeah, lots of cricket. Uh, a bit quieter than Melbourne. No earthquakes up here, so it's all good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's been quite a week in cricket, hasn't it? Well, certainly a funny wake-up call yesterday morning to have the house rattling and thinking, well, we know Mitch Marsh was hitting sixes yesterday in Adelaide, but the impact of a cricket ball landing on a road is surely not that loud. But we will get into that and discussing the start of the domestic summer. But I guess the best place to start, boys, is right up in the top of Australia where the international summer got underway. The first match of the multi-format series between Australia and India got underway in Mackay and Australia just cruised ahead to win number 25 and you could say continued on their merry way. Oh, they were brilliant yesterday, weren't they? They were just scintillating from the start. India never really looked like they could get a foothold into the match. And from there, then Australia's batting, just a masterclass at the top three. It was wonderful to watch. Yeah, a few different things to take out of this one, Rory. The first one, first one I'm looking at is, number one, the kids are all right. And the second thing is, it says a fair bit about the quality of your team when... Elise Perry is your worst performer on the day and you still win by nine wickets. Yeah, that's right. The the depth of Australian cricket and the women's format is uh, incredible. They're going to be a strong team for at least the next decade, if not probably forever. Um, yeah, they're just so far ahead of where India or England are. Uh, it's hard to see anyone coming close to them for at least the next few years. Uh, in terms of Elise Perry and her bowling, um, yeah, it wasn't great yesterday, was it? It was pretty loose. Uh, the pace was down a little bit. Um, I'm just, I call me crazy, but I just don't know if she should still be bowling. Uh, we've seen injuries from her over the last year, two years. Um, we have obviously a ton of depth in the bowling department. She's an incredible batsman, uh, batter. I would just think probably it's time to let the bowling go from Perry. And I think that's an interesting point to make there, Rory, because I mean, on one hand, I think it's brilliant to see that, you know, you can ease Perry into a summer and you can let her find her groove with her bowling and, you know, she can go at nearly 10 and over and still it doesn't really hurt your chances of, you know, winning a game when there's so many younger ones and the depth there can really, you know, shoulder the load until she gets to her, you know, at her best when she's an absolute X factor with the ball in hand. But then you wonder, you know, she's only getting older. Is it, is it worth it? Is it worth risking, you know, what we have from her batting? Yeah, yeah, that's it's... right. I think it's, yeah, her batting's just too good to to risk her not playing. So I think we have to, especially when the, like, uh, Megan shoots and uh, we have that full-strength bowling lineup. I just don't think it's worth the risk. Well, at the moment, we don't have that full-strength bowling lineup while we're Megan shoot taking this series up and, series up and they're obviously being very cautious with 
Taylor Valamic, who's also had her fair share of injuries. I thought it was important for them to give Perry the new ball just to give her the responsibility and say, well, not responsibility, but to back their star player and back their veteran in saying, you're the leader of this bowling attack with these young with these young bowlers around you to have that responsibility with the new ball. Yeah, she was pretty wayward and ended up being a pretty bad day, but I, I thought it was important, more of a symbolism for her frame of mind to say, you're fit again now, you are running in and you are bowling and you are going to be the main woman with the ball in this series. As good as you are with the bat, you're also a world-class bowler and that's the way that we see you and hopefully you can shoulder the load. Now, granted, she's come out two weeks quarantine, had one practice match, um, was pretty rusty compared to the likes of Darcy Brown, who was absolutely scintillating in a second one-day international. So there might be something in that when you compare the way that she and she, Perry, and the rest of the bowlers who had to do that two weeks of quarantine, not getting a lot of volume in in the practice nets. But maybe it's blowing out the cobwebs just for one game. Speaking of Darcy Brown, um, Rory, the kid from Kapunda, she's put in a fair, she's made a fair breakout performance up there in Mackay and she's certainly put everyone else on alert. Yeah, that's right. Incredible effort to to start off in her second ODI. Uh, four for 33 from her 10 overs. Absolutely incredible. She kind of broke the back of that Indian uh, batting lineup and won Australia the game effectively. Well, she made the incisions early. Like when, when Perry was going the journey it, at the start of the innings before she was uh, replaced by Talia McGrath, Darcy Brown was keeping it tight and making key breakthroughs. She got rid of Shafali Burma and shooting Mundanai at the top of the order and really just stifled the flow that the Indian top order, top order batters were getting nice and early. And she just didn't really give him anything loose to hit. And I think that's an amazing thing when your veteran up the other end and Perry is a bit wayward. And as we talked about earlier, there are, there are reasons behind that, you know, coming in rusty, but then to have someone so young and probably so inexperienced at the international level come in and just really just hit a spot with everything she was doing. And I know for Brown, you know, sometimes you get into a rhythm like that as a bowler, but still to be able to do that so consistently and rein it back in, I think makes an even more impressive performance that it wasn't all going their way early. And, she was actually the spearhead who's managed to rein it back in and really get Australia back in the lead in the game. And from there, they were just never headed. Another impressive performance, but this one on debut from Hannah Darlington, a very special and very special moment in Australian cricket, becoming only the third Indigenous cricketer, Indigenous female cricketer to play for their country behind Faith Thomas and, of course, Ash Gardner, who presented her cap. Two wickets on debut for Darlington. It started off, she just did what she did in the Women's Big Bash last year, where she just kept it tight, bowled stump to stump. Her first wicket was a leading edge, which spooned up to short cover. And then her second wicket was just the classic Hannah Darlington wicket, just hitting hitting the top of hitting the top of off stump, bowling, bowling straight and just giving them absolutely nothing. 
And that's the big thing. And you're talking about a typical Hannah Darlington wicket, but doing that and transitioning that to the international level is something that it's incredibly hard to do. And the fact that she can walk in and do that. And, you know, as I said, she's already, it's very helpful that she had that backing when she came on of the spinners in Wareham, Molyneux and Gardner all really did their job beautifully. And I think they're underrated in that older experience that they bring around these younger bowlers, but to come in and then capitalise and, you know, to be able to look so dangerous immediately, it's just another great sign of Australia's depth and what they have in their bowling stocks. I guess the question now turns to what do they do? There's the game two of the one day series on Friday, game three on Sunday before they move into the test match later in the week, they'll be mindful of not wanting to completely load up the players. And of course, as we mentioned, Taylor Valamic's unavailable until the T20 series Um, with Stella Campbell and Maitland Brown, the reserve pace bowlers, none of them played a, neither of them have played a game for their country yet, but with a young bowling attack and particularly with Brown doing so well and, they might be inclined to rest Perry for the third game and keep her ready for the test match coming up. How does Australia manoeuvre or rotate their pace bowling? Yeah, so I think they're going to give everyone a go at some point through the series, whether that's in the one days or the T20s. Uh, but you're right, they're probably going to need to rest some of these quick bowlers for the test match. So I'd suggest that Brown will probably come in at some point uh, and they'll probably rest Darcy Brown as well. And it's a mighty fine line to tread along at international level, sort of managing resting players for further fixtures, but then also wanting to keep the momentum going. But I think the only sort of cricket team in the world who can do that and get away with it consistently would be the Australian women's. I think Indian men with their bowling tried it in England at times, and I don't know if it necessarily worked for them in that test series because they just couldn't consistently find the right matchup that they needed. But then I think Australian women just has that depth with all the young players coming through that they're still going to be able to rest Perry if they need to in the last game. And it's not going to overly impact their chances of winning. So, I mean, I agree with Rory. That's what I see them doing and giving everyone in that squad a go because, I mean, it's not going to adversely affect their chances of winning, which is the most critical beer. And it definitely says a bit about that whole team where they can just plug and play and, Really, there's there's no shortage of talent in that team, as we saw when they walked out to bat to chase down the runs. It was, well, it was quite dominant with um, Healy and Ray Chains and Meg Lanning just continuing to do what they do, and that is score a mountain of runs. Elisa Healy bringing up the 2,000 run in ODI milestone, um, evidently finishing up with a beautiful set of um, symmetrical numbers, um, 77 runs off 77 balls, wearing the number 77 on off a bat. She is a phenomenal cricketer to watch and in full flight, and she just picked up where she left off from the last time she was playing against India. We all want to talk about Elisa. And fair enough too, because there's just so much to say about her. And I think... I think she's going to go down at the end of it as very Gilchrist type of figure. And I think it's, it's sometimes that comparison's daunting. And I think in the end, it's probably going to be her own name. It's going to be the Alyssa Healy name. It's not going to be in the shadow of someone like Gilchrist because it's on the, it's on the women's side of it, but 
it's going to be that same type of, I think, cult figure of a keeper batsman who's come in and just really had such an impact. And the way Healy just continues to turn along in all formats of the game, and I'm really interested to see how she takes a test match cricket this time with the pink ball at night with the same opponent in India. I think that's going to be the next step to see, you know, if she can bring that same game in again and if she can really just excel as she has been at the top of the order in one day in 2020 cricket, then she's just going to go down in circle. It's just one of those great revolutionary keeper bats who just does it all so well, but also brings so many people to the game while doing so. Yeah, that's right. She's uh, just absolutely incredible, obviously. And that knock yesterday was very reminiscent of the 2020 World Cup final. That was a uh, pre-pandemic, if you can believe that. Uh, but it, what I noticed was the pull shot. So even balls that were just just above the top of the stumps there would be getting pulled in front of square or behind square. And she probably hit 30 runs in the first 10 overs in front of square like that. It's just yeah, an incredible effort that you don't really see in the women's game too much. Yeah, it's very impressive what she's doing. And I think the partnership at the top of the order, obviously she opens up in the T20 format with Beth Mooney, but the partnership with Rachel Haynes and Haynes is a bit more controlled and with going through the gears. And we definitely saw that in the innings throughout the day, whereas Healy just she was kind of in her, the Gilchrist mode where she just goes from ball one, which is fantastic. She's great at setting the tone. And it's interesting you mentioned the test match, Sean. I wonder if it'll be that she drops down the order and bats in the middle order or whether or not she stays at the top of the order with someone like a Beth Mooney or a Rachel Haynes or even Nicole Bolton. I know she's not on the squad, but she's opened the batting before with Nicole Bolton in test matches. And she's sort of been the goer and Nicole sort of really set the tone. So it's a really interesting watch to see how they set their batting lineup come the test match. Maybe Georgia Redmayne even gets a bit of a look in for that bit of a longer form um, batsman. Healy will definitely take the gloves, but I can definitely see Georgia Redmayne coming in as a batting option. But there's so many fantastic batters in that top order. And unfortunately, some people will miss out. One lady who definitely won't miss out is the captain who just keeps on going. You wouldn't have known that she spent two weeks in um, hard quarantine doing little to no batting practice, but that was Meg Lanning walking out and just, just creaming the most, one of the most effortless half century. She's making a habit of doing that in against any opposition really. And just coming in when Elisa Healy lost and just picking up where she left off, making some more runs. And again, it's just proving how daunting it is coming up against a quality Australian side with deep, deep batting, batting um, depth and operation. And I think Rachel Haynes said it on the mic that there'll be buildings named after Meg Lanning and she just keeps on going. 4,000 ODI runs. It's absolutely incredible, isn't it? She's now averaging 55 in ODI cricket. Uh, yeah, she's just she's obviously the best uh, batter that we've ever seen in women's cricket. I think uh, I don't think that can be disputed anymore and she's just going to keep going. Hopefully we can see her more in test matches as the, the women start playing more tests and she can just keep mounting on these huge scores. I think it was a good little wind back yesterday. Just another 
gentle reminder if if women's cricket didn't need that internationally already that Australia's top order is just incredible and I think while Lanning and Healing were just outstanding to watch I think Haynes flies under the radar all the time and I think Mooney's in the same boat so is Ash Gardner where they just sort of because there's so much star power in Healy, Lanning, Perry all at the top of the order that a lot of teams are wary of and they've made such a name for themselves that all these other batsmen around them or batters really just manage to slip under the radar and it's incredible like Haynes has ended up top scoring 93 not out going at 93 strike rate so she's certainly not although as we talked about you know she's playing that sort of more calm down and anchor role next to Healy she's still ticking along with a wonderful strike rate for one day cricket and just the ease at which they did it was another scary reminder that Australia's bowling has got those young stocks coming through that are exciting but then their veteran batters are just as good as they were five years ago which is just incredibly scary but also wonderful for us Australian supporters. Yeah, it will be interesting to see what they do, particularly in the last two one days at Mackay before the action moves down to the Gold Coast for the Test match and the T20s. The next time we record, the one-day leg will be over, so we'll be reviewing that and doing a bit of a preview of the Test match and casting a few more judgments or maybe just saying, maybe just watching on in awe of just how good these ladies are at playing cricket. So from the Gold Coast to the subcontinent where there's been a fair amount of news coming out of there this week with, unfortunately, a couple of cancelled tours. Rory, you've been following this closely. Unfortunately, it looked like we've had another episode of a game being cancelled on the morning of play, which is reminiscent of the times that we're in at the moment. But again, it's not what you want to see, particularly on what would have been such an important day for Pakistani cricket. Yeah, that's right. So after 21 years, New Zealand, we're going to come back to Pakistan and finally play some international cricket. There was going to be crowds in. It's going to be a great occasion. Then we get to the morning of the game. New Zealand uh, decide uh, we can't go to the ground. So they're stuck at the hotel initially. We're all getting information through that it's a COVID issue, which wouldn't surprise anyone, similar to what happened within you in England. But uh, the news comes out about an hour later. The Times of India were the first to report that it was a security issue, that New Zealand had received uh, some kind of uh, threat and they were going to abandon the tour and go home. It's unfortunate for Pakistan. Obviously, we've seen this before. Um, it's reminiscent of what happened to the Sri Lanka team while they in Pakistan a few years ago. Uh, obviously nothing went wrong this time, which is excellent work uh, to keep everyone safe. But yeah, obviously player safety has to come first. And uh, yeah, player safety has to come first. And unfortunately for Pakistan, this could see the end of them uh, hosting international cricket for a little while. Mm. Well, I was going to I was going to ask you there, Rory, because it looked from the outset, and we're here in Australia, and as much as We've got our own problems here at the moment. It's looking, it looks as if we will probably get an international summer, whereas Pakistan have done so much work both inside Pakistan and working with the ICC and other cricketing boards to get cricket back in their country that hosted the West Indies, they've hosted Bangladesh, they've hosted Sri Lanka, they even hosted South Africa for a test series earlier in the year. And it looked like they were going to get some of those big four nations coming 
back into Pakistan to play cricket in New Zealand. They just won the one the World Test Championship and are sitting pretty number one for um, a couple of forms of cricket to go and play there. And England were due to tour men and women. That's not happening anymore. So it just it's so unfortunate that we've had another team pull out of a tour of Pakistan for security reasons where it looked like they were making so much ground. And as you said, you have to wonder now, what, what does this mean for them hosting cricket in their, in their backyard moving forward? Yeah, that's right. So with, yeah, obviously England have abandoned their tours as well, citing issues that are sort of flowed on from New Zealand leaving. Australia was also meant to go there later in 2022. You'd have to say that's probably in doubt now as well. Yeah. Uh, in terms of what's going to happen for Pakistan hosting, I think this is probably the end for a little while. Uh, they're pretty apprehensive about going back to the UAE, though. So mm. uh, Ramiz Raj is in charge of uh, Pakistan cricket now, and he thinks that if they were to go to the UAE, it just opens the door for countries like Australia to say, oh, we, we'll play you, but we'll have to go to the UAE. And really what Pakistan that, that would to... that would That would ruin the relationship between Australia and Pakistan, surely. Yeah. Or Because the last two tours that Australia have meant to be gone to Pakistan, they've been played in the UAE. Now, never mind the fact that Australia have been rolled, but Pakistanis love their cricket. They It's the national game over there and you see um, Tin Ali cricket and taped up um, rubber balls just play playing in the street. So they absolutely love their cricket. So it would have been an absolute kick in the guts to have another tour cancelled and then a big tour cancelled with with the England men and women coming over and the ramifications for the England team as well, which we'll jump into just a little bit later. But I can't hell I I'm feel I feel for Pakistani cricket fans I feel for their CEO Wasim Khan because it's just been hoop after hoop that Pakistan cricket have had to jump through and they've gone through their own internal turmoil with um the coaching changeover and the hierarchy there so it, and then to have this they were finally going to get back on the park and get some more at it's just a very Sad time. And I, I mean, I agree with that all. I think it's devastating for Pakistan cricket and just all the hard work. And you're talking about all the hoops they've had to jump through just to get to this stage where they could, you know, host these bigger nations like New Zealand and then, you know, it's going to be in England or in Australia. It's absolutely devastating. And I think world cricket needs a Pakistan team that's, you know, up there and firing and popular because some of the best times in international cricket has been when they're right up there and they're challenging teams. And with India growing the past few years, I mean, I was one who was really hopeful of Pakistan then making the leap with them because, I mean, that rivalry that's very famous and storied would just have gone to a whole new level. So it's, it's an absolute kick in the guts, not just for Pakistan, but I think for all cricket lovers the world over who wanted to see cricket return to Pakistan and to really flourish. But now it's just another, you know, scary lurch into limbo, wondering how long it's going to be until they're going to be cleared again. So we mentioned England pulling out of their tour again. This has been met with quite a bit of backlash, particularly in the UK from the cricketing public in the UK. Pakistan, along with the West Indies, went to England last year in the middle of the COVID bomb in the UK and played there. I think they've played 15 consecutive games of cricket against England in England. 
it's been a tremendous sacrifice for all those young Pakistan men and even women as well who have gone to England. Did England owe Pakistan more here just for them to say, you know, you guys have sacrificed so much for so long, it's time for us to do our part? And it leads to a broader discussion about the health of international cricket worldwide. But it's, I think, I really think England have dudded Pakistan here. Yeah, I agree with you that they have. But uh, you take a wider view, like uh, if player safety is an issue, as New Zealand said it was, do you really want to put the English players at risk there or even the Pakistan players at risk? And if Pakistan's unwilling to play those games in the UAE, then I'm not really sure what option England have. Yeah, and there's two things at play there because, I mean, on one hand, you can understand that player safety is paramount and you shouldn't be taking them into somewhere where even if there's a hint of a security risk, you just it's not worth it in this day and age at all. Um, and it's a great point that Rory's made there about you know Pakistan being unwilling to go to UAE and it's frustrating because then you go, well, you know, for the sake of Pakistan cricket especially, you want this series to happen in any way, shape or form. But they're not being able to you know, find that common ground, it's just difficult. And you hope that, you know, England keep reaching out and trying to find an alternative that will work for both teams because I think especially Pakistan deserve that for what they've done in the past 10 years and trying to make cricket work for them and for other teams and to get series off the ground. But it's just difficult. And it'll flow into other teams. Like, you know, when the Australian men are set to tour, it's just a whole it's just a whole nother problem and going, well, how is it, are they going to be willing to go to the UAE or are they just going to be stuck, you know, wondering when it's going to happen and unable to find that common ground? It's an interesting watch, particularly as we move forward to the World T20 in the UAE and as cricket moves on. And I guess as, as well as this, there's the player safety issue, there's the COVID issue, there's the player fatigue issue. So there's so many issues at play. And again, it just leads to really interesting discussions. But enough of that. Let's move on to a bit of silliness. Oh. <laughs> now, that's the funniest thing I've seen for a long time. Now, how many of you picked this up? I can't believe it. And he can't either. So I'm sorry, what? We started with a bit of a bang last week in terms of getting things off the ground and lots to talk about, lots of things that are happening in the world of cricket. Um, Rory, we might start with you, mate, because you put something on the rundown, which I've looked at and I've gone, um, I don't understand that. Yeah, so I've gone a little bit left field here, if you will. Uh, something from the world of baseball. So Miami Marlins outfielder uh, Jesus Sanchez uh, was going for a, a fly ball. He decided to go for the catch with the hand that doesn't have the glove on. So he's taken it without the gloves on. Now, the baseball's made a huge deal of this. Catch without a glove, how amazing is that? From a cricket perspective, they've got to turn this up a little bit, surely. Uh, it's just a normal catch, right? They haven't done anything special. There's no dive. Steve Smith sort of taken this with his eyes closed. Have you ever felt a baseball in comparison to a normal red kookaburra ball? It's softer, easy to catch. I've weak from baseball. I think it is. No, well, 
Yeah, you're used to it. But let, let's remember these Americans wear pads and helmets as well. Yeah, that's right. That's what I'm when, saying. When they're playing sport and gloves. So to take off a layer of their protection, it's probably a big deal for them as well. Yeah. It's just but a with, bit soft from the Americans, I think. <laughs> with, I that like being, Rory. with that being said, baseballs are heavy. I still like it a lot. I still like that. They've been they've been mollycoddled for decades being able to play with these big ass gloves on when, you know, wiki keepers are, you know, there's even some going around who don't even bother with inners and they're psychos, but can't turn it up. I like it. I like it. I, I, I can't cool. I can't even wear inners. I can't even not wear inners when I'm batting and I'm I'm a lower order batsman, but even I have to wear inners because of just the recoil. <laughs> Just, I mean, but then straight away, it's just like catching a regulation high ball. I think even, even, yeah, even, even, even the worst of local cricketers can sit under a high ball and at least take one. And sometimes I'll fluke it and manage it in one hand when they don't mean to. I mean, it's just the same, but it's just done inside, it's just done in front of a crowd this time. I'd say I like it, Rory. Bring it yeah, in, the, turn it up, Americans. This we've been doing it for years. That's it. Even Glenn McGrath took a one-handed catch. It's not that big of a deal. Sean, you're going X, mate. <laughs> Oh, I've, I've gone more Australian-based with mine. And as you know, we're all domestic cricket lovers. Um, and I think it's been a little bit of a Christmas holiday period now with the Marsh One Day Cup starting up uh, just yesterday with WA playing South Australia, which, I mean, we'll touch on South Australia another time because they're a bit of a rabble and we don't hate to see it, but we don't love it. But, um, of course, Western Australia, as they should have, duly just ended up consolidating this and easily candid away to a victory. But Mitch Marsh... Batting at first drop, we, we all know Mitch Marsh and remember him from the last Home Asher series, really dominated the Poms, so we can respect that a lot. Um, but he's taken it out on South Australia, ended up making 100, you know, pretty happy with himself. He just ended up starting off the summer perfectly. As he's brought it up, he's um, gone to take off the helmet and, you know, raise the bat as 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 you do, as you should when you make a century, nonetheless, at, at that level. And... He's turned around and realised that none of his teammates have gone up and started clapping. No, no one in the support staff has. They've probably all fallen asleep at the wheel and haven't realised, enjoying the nice South Australian sun. And he's given them a little bit of a... Sorry, what South Australian sun? I was watching that live stream a little bit yesterday. I don't think I saw the sun once. <laughs> well, if there was a tiny shred of it, they must have been enjoying it because there was plenty of them there with the sunnies on who were absolutely out of it and had not registered that he'd done anything special. And he's gone and given him a little bit as we all know, Mitch Marsh is a bit of a character. He's gone and, you know, whirled the arms around. He's given him a bit of a yell and they've all delayed, got up all laughed it off and given him a clap. But I would have loved to have seen what the big bison did when he's gone back into the rooms and, you know, he's got the big square shoulders. He probably would have turned it up against a few of them, but it was very entertaining to watch that a regulation century just, got met with absolutely nothing. Shout out to Bharat Sundarason for being there and cheering on Mitchell Marsh. And he's got he had a magnificent jacket on there yesterday, Bharat, just standing there in the outfield. So that certainly got a lot of airtime. And he's a friend of the show too, Bharat. So nice little shout out. Um, my one also comes from domestic cricket, um, not in Australia, but over in the UK, it was the Vitality Blast finals day at Edgebaston, one of the better days on the cricketing calendar over there. And some interesting, uh, some interesting, one of the weirdest sixes you'll ever see. So Somerset's Will Smead has absolutely smacked a rank long hop from um, from Kent, from the Kent bowler, which is heading, you know, over Cow Corner for a six. Well, you 
think it's going to head over Cal Corner for a six. Um, Jordan Cox is coming in from one end and Daniel Bell Drummond is coming in from another end. Now, Cox takes the catch a centimetre in from the boundary line. And at the same time that he takes the catch, Daniel Bell Drummond is sliding in, collides with Cox and also touches the boundary rope. Now, initially, I thought this was, yep, you're out because you haven't, because the ball hasn't gone over the boundary line or anything. I thought, well, that's a great catch to stay composed with your teammate running in to try and put you off. Then third umpire says, no, I want to have a look at this. And it's actually called a six. (laughs) And the reason that I'm thinking it's called a six, well, the ball's touching one player, which is touching another player, which is touching the boundary rope all at the same time. Therefore, it is six. I was so confused by this. I'm thinking that has got to be one of the weirdest sixes I think you've ever seen. Gee whiz, that's good. And that sets a good little precedent for the rule saying, you know, if you get people in a bit of a conga line, it makes suddenly makes the boundaries a bit easier to clear. <laughs> if you haven't it? seen it, we'll put the link up on our Twitter and our Instagram. You just have to see how ridiculous this looked. It was truly one of the most bizarre sixes you think you've seen. And if you thought that um, Ben Ben Stokes's um, World Cup final six off the back of the bat rolling along to the fence was one of the weirdest sixes you've ever seen, I think this one tops it gives hope for a few of us who aren't probably the most muscularly talented and struggle to clear those ropes. And if you get, you know, 11 blokes to, you know, stand arm in arm, you know, ring a ring a rosy from the boundary, suddenly I might be able to clear a 30, 40 meter boundary. It'll be good. Just, just give me a short ball. I'll try and pull and see if I can top edge one there. But yeah, I mean, it's crazy to watch, especially on such a, you know, big calendar day for cricket and England cricket. You've got to be pretty filthy if you're Jordan Cox, F, uh, Daniel, uh, Daniel Belt Drummond. Just get out of the way, you know? Yeah, well, certainly an interesting one, and it's one that's generated a lot of debate between cricket fans and commentators and even players, and I, I, I think it, you just keep saying that you think you've seen it all in this, this sport, and then something else comes along and just absolutely takes it away. Let's move on, shall we, to the restarted IPL, which has taken place in the UAE. The first lot of matches have come and we're seeing not as many Aussies in action as there were at the start of the tournament earlier this year, but there certainly is a fair contingent over there. Um, Rory, there have been a couple in action early. David Warner was in action overnight for Sunrisers after his all... um, stripping of the captaincy and hoo-ha towards the end of the first part of the tournament. How did he go? Yeah, terribly. Uh, obviously, yeah, obviously he had the captaincy taken away from him at the uh, end of the post, well, before the postponement, I guess. And then he was also dropped from the side. So, yeah, it's not going well for David. Uh, he got a three-ball duck yesterday, tried to pull one and sort of top-edged it straight up in the air. I'd be surprised if he gets another game, to be honest with you. I think Jason Roy might come in for the next one for the Sunrisers. Not the ideal preparation ahead of the T20 World Cup. He'd be wanting to get as much game time in as possible. But obviously with the nature of the IPL and the way that those teams are absolutely stacked, it's very much, well, one stuff up and you're done. Yeah, that's it. He doesn't have a lot of uh, credits in the bank for that, that team, I don't think, anymore. And 
yeah, it could be the end for the IPL for David Warner. And in terms of the other Australians that are over there, with Marcus Stoinis is back playing. Um, there's a few others over there that are applying their trade who will be looking to get out on the field and start well. Yeah, well, that's it. Marcus Stoinis was back playing yesterday. Unfortunately, uh, he pulled up two balls into his second over with a hamstring injury, so he's out. Um, we're not sure how long he's going to be out for, but hopefully it's not too long and he can be back for the Aussie soon. Uh, Glenn Maxwell also played a couple of nights ago uh, in an RCB collapse. They got bowled out for 92. Uh, he only he made 10 from 17. He looked like their best batsman, but just couldn't get it off the square. And Josh Hazelwood also played a couple of nights ago as well and just took the one wicket in his uh, his match, that of Tyron Pollard. There's one question I want to ask you, Rory. I haven't been watching much of the IPL this time around because of the night, because of the time that it's been on. But a name that not many Australians will be wary, be aware of, but he definitely played a role in last um, last summer of cricket. Kartik Tiagi, um, his name was everywhere in the middle of the night last night due to what he was doing on the field. Um, it ended up being quite an amazing thing that took place and Kartik was right in the middle of it. Yeah, that's right. So uh, Punjab needed eight uh, eight runs from the last two overs. They got five from the uh, 19th over and they needed three to win in the last one. Kartik Tiagi comes on. He's not the greatest bowler in the world, I think it's fair to say. And he managed to hold Punjab to just one run in the over and came, came home with an easy win. Winviz had... Um, Rad, uh, had Rajasthan winning that, oh, sorry, Punjab winning that game uh, at 99.5%. And somehow Rajasthan has come back to win that. That's, it was absolutely incredible to watch. That's quite amazing, isn't it, Sean? And obviously, for those who aren't aware, Kartik Tiagi is the one that hit Will Pukowski in the warm up game in Dremoyne at the start of the summer. And for him to, he didn't feature at all on that. Tour on that spare parts tour of India, which ended up beating Australia. But it's great that the IPL is producing these moments for these young cricketers and giving them, I guess, giving them their time in the sun. And with so much cricket going on in India, there's so many players that are taking their opportunities. That's a big upside about these domestic 2020 tournaments, isn't it? I mean, we see it in the big bash as well that they, you know, bring out names in Australia that now are almost staples in our 2020 team. We're looking at the World Cup. There's people like Josh Inglis and stuff who wouldn't have got a look in if it's not for these tournaments, giving them the time of day to shine. And, you know, India's just got an absolute plethora of options, especially in this 2020 format to choose from. And Kartik's just another one. It's amazing that they have so many people who can stand up. But, you know, you're seeing it in their test side that there's almost random unknown names that just come through and shine instantly. But... It's just giving India the opportunity to blood more and to put them in high-pressure situations. It's got, you know, big TV crowds and a lot riding on it in terms of money and pressure. And to see them thrive and, you know, making heroes of people early on, it's only going to, you know, just fortify their strength at the international level if they inevitably break through. And, Rory, it wouldn't be the new IPL without a COVID scare, um, but everything's just play on for the time being, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. So it looked like the game yesterday might have been cancelled early on, but uh, luckily they so the IPL they're kind of splitting up players into small groups uh, and uh, just trying to 
make sure this tournament rolls on and we get a finish date before the World Cup starts. So uh, Natarajan, who we might remember from playing a, a test match out here in Australia, uh, tested positive. As a result of that, they had six people uh, have to self-isolate and w- they'll wait till they return negative tests. But thankfully, it was just another, just one other player that was caught up in that. And they, uh, Sunrise's team managed to get on the park for the game, although it didn't really help them in the result too much. We wish Natarajan a speedy recovery. Let's finish off with a few of these. Quick singles. Let's move quickly through a few of these just to finish this week's show. Sean, we noted before um, the injury to Big Rig Stoinis. If he misses the World Cup through his hamstring injury, who should Australia bring into the squad? It's going to be no one who matches his muscles, um, definitely. But I think there's two ways I'll go about it. There's either the batting and, you know, look, Alex Carey and Josh Phillippe were both big omissions when Inglis has made it as the backup keeper batsman. So I think one of them for a top order batting, which, you know, Stoinis has made a name for himself with the stars as is probably your best option. But then other than that, you're probably turning to the reserves for the bowling and someone like a Nathan Ellis is probably someone who, you know, you want those handy overs and, you know, if you're able to cover the top order batting, you can bat him down at, you know, eight, seven or eight. And then I think that's going to be one of their better options or even a Daniel Sams as well is floating around. He's going to be able to offer both. So I think that's what the selectors have got to weigh up, whether they go for the top order batting side of Stoinis or the handy overs that they can get out of him. Um, but while we're talking about, I mean, Carey and Philippi, this is very handy. Both of them made wonderful hundreds yesterday in the opening game of the Marsh one day cup tournament in down in South Australia, as we mentioned earlier, Rory, I think I'll hand this one to you because it's an interesting one. Which batter keeper are you taking in the upcoming limited overs World Cups if there's another slot available? Yeah, obviously Josh Inglis was disappointing yesterday. He only made the one that, yeah, Alex Gary and Josh Phillippe, very, very impressive. Uh, in terms of T20 World Cups, I'd probably still go Inglis over both of them. But uh, the ODI ones, they're both putting their hands up. But I think Alex Carey is the one to go with still. Yeah. John o, a huge question for you here. Uh, I don't know how anyone's going to solve this. If Jason Gillespie can't, I'm not sure how we're meant to do it, but what's the first thing you're going to do to fix South Australian cricket? Um, yeah, not sure. They need a big thing. We might get Sam Tugwell back on the show a little later on. He joined us last season to do a real deep down into South Australia cricket and to go through all their issues there. So we might get Tuggers on to speak about this again. Um, Sean, Anrich Nokia, the South African quick bowler, bowled the seventh fastest balls of the IPL last night. Will he be next to break the 100-mile-an-hour barrier? I don't know if he's going to break it, but he's going to get very, very close. And I've thought this since first saw him burst onto the scene. I think it would be a couple of years ago when there was test matches against England that, he featured in and just the, he bowled such a heavy ball that it's almost visible on the television, which is something pretty rare for a heavy ball. But I think he's going to get seriously close to it. Whether he'll break it is it's a fine line because it's so historically difficult, but I think he's going to give it a good run. And while we're on that topic of talking about fast bowlers being able to crack certain milestones, Rory, you were watching yesterday when, you know, Darcy Brown was, 
thrilling to watch. Do you reckon she'll become the first female bowler to crack 130 Ks per hour, which is such a big, big milestone to pass? Yeah, that'll be huge when it happens. I'm not sure it's going to happen this summer, but I think she will. Uh, give it a couple of years, build up the, the body a little bit, and she'll definitely crack that 130K an hour mark and rip through every batsman in the world, I think. Uh, Jono, just to finish up, last one. Uh, is anyone coming close to the Australian women at the 50-over World Cup next year? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think from the way that they've come out yesterday and missing their best spinner, Jess Jonathan, their best um, quick in, Megan shoot, and you've just got the depth of talent that's there. And, of course, it's any anyone can do anything on any day, but it's just going to be – it looks like they are streets ahead from – the rest of the world and it, it'll be interesting i think england might be their biggest challenge but they've just been they were just um nurdled out by new zealand over in um leicester which was fantastic a great bowling performance from leah to to who who to leah to who who i'm sorry but they've got they might be the closest ones that get them but yeah it looks like australia far away ahead of everyone else gents i think that's about it. We look forward to the next two one days and we will be back next week to talk everything in the world of cricket. You can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at over and stumps. You can read all our fantastic work at Innes, at the inner sanctum, www.theinnersanctum.com.au. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and of course, tell your friends about us some fantastic analysis, some discussions, some chats with some fantastic cricketers and cricket people. Guys, thanks so much for joining me.